Welcome to Franklin Community Church and Floods of Justice. We are talking about uh, the one another statements. Today is serve one another. So make sure whoever you're with has their coffee topped off and we'll be right back. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, we've, it's been a it's been a week, you know, one <laughs> doozy of a week. But I'm I'm alive, and it's like I didn't realize how relevant this series on the one another statements was going to be because it's like, you know, I I do some of the editing and I'll keep working on stuff after the fact, and so it's I'm like living it over and over, and it's. <laughs> It's so necessary at this moment. For, Are you being tested in everyone? Oh, my goodness. Love one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. I'm like, now serve. I'm like, but I'm not in the mood to serve anybody right now because I can't. <laughs> woosa, woosa. But it's yeah. it's great. It's well, as timeless. I said last week, anytime I'm preaching on something, it seems like I get tested. So yeah. I guess you're considered a minister now. Yeah. You're getting, <laughs> Is this my ordination? You're getting tested uh, <laughs> over the same things yeah. as we go. Yeah. Well, it's good, though. I, I hope it's been good for you all that are watching from home. Uh, today is another, another good one. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, the study for this one uh, myself, because yeah. really when I sat down and served one another, I thought, okay, wh how, where am I going with, you know, with this? And uh, so I hope, I hope I've listened to the Spirit and we've been guided on what we need to hear uh, from that, I do want to talk about something else though before we get we get started. Um, and uh, before I do that, even don't forget three o'clock today is uh, is our Zoom meeting, and um, and so make sure you check that out. Check out the study guide um, as well. If you haven't listened to the meditations that have been going uh, on, uh, which is another audio on the podcast, which would be a meditation for the sermon, make sure you go back and listen to those because those are uh, those are really good uh, too. But um, there's been a couple of things that have happened and been in the news. They happened, one of them happened a few months ago, but it's all been in the news a whole lot this week. And if we were meeting as a church, we would usually talk about these things. Um, usually around communion, I would talk about it, um, and, uh, and then we would have a pastoral prayer um, about, uh, about the events that are going on in our society that's causing people a lot of uh, hurt, a lot of anger, uh, and so forth. And so that's what I want to do this morning is just kind of address this a little bit and have a word of prayer. And then after I pray, um, Samantha is going to greet us and have a prayer and then we'll go into worship. So this beginning section will be a little longer than, uh, than what we've had. And, and what I'm talking about is um, the case of Ahmad um, Aubrey, who was shot in Brunswick, Georgia. I think it was back in February. And uh, some citizens just... Uh, chased him. It, he, it, he looked like he really wasn't doing anything but jogging. Um, and, uh, and they chased him and a confrontation took place and they shot him. He was an unarmed black man. So you had an unarmed, unarmed black man shot 
to death by, um, by two white uh, citizens. And, um, and then nothing was done. It seemed like there was a cover-up. And then and now finally, just last week, uh, the two were arrested after there was basically a, na- a national outrage uh, against that. And, um, and so that's been on a lot of people's mind. I've been in a lot of conversations with, with some of my African-American friends, and they're hurt. They're, they're like, here we go again. What's going on in our society? And then uh, this week, there was an article in the paper of a, of a Miss uh, Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, who uh, the police uh, were looking for someone, and they busted into her apartment. Um, and I guess her and her boyfriend's apartment, or it could be her husband. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but they busted into the apartment and, and they didn't announce themselves. The police are here. And so they thought they were being invaded. And so the guy in the apartment shot one time and then the police shot, uh, what I read was about 20 some odd rounds and they hit Brianna 20 times, uh, eight times and uh, killed her. And she was an EMT. So she had been on the front lines fighting COVID and was just asleep in her bed, African-American lady. And the police came in and sh- and shot her eight times. And so um, that one is that one, you know, from the time it happened till now, it, it received a lot of press, not like um, Aubrey, which happened back in February and and uh, and just now really getting the press that it deserves. And so in my conversations with African-Americans, what I'm sensing is is just a deep hurt of what in the world's going on. I'm tired of talking about reconciliation when we keep seeing these things um, uh, happening and people uh, are being are being killed for for no reason, um, regardless of what Ahmad may have done or not did. He didn't deserve the death penalty uh, for that particular act, and he was just, you know, walking through a neighborhood that quote wasn't his. Years ago, we had a similar thing here in Franklin happen. My next door neighbor, an African American realtor, was driving through uh, West Haven, uh, showing a client a house. And uh, he noticed a guy in a pickup truck started to follow him. And when they got to an intersection, the guy drove his truck around, stopped him, um, confronted him with, what are you doing here? This is not your neighborhood. And, uh, and then he, when he came home, he was still shaken uh, from that. Um, and so that happens here. And, and uh, where, you know, I, I told some people, you know, if I walk through the wrong neighborhood, the quote, wrong neighborhood, I'm lost. Uh, but it seemed like if a minority walks through the wrong neighborhood, they're up to no good, and um, and that's and that's just not right. And so, um, the and so you know again, what I'm hearing from people is just this tremendous amount of hurt. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking because basically the last 20, 25 years of my life, I've been I've been trying to um, fight for and uh, be involved in racial reconciliation things, uh, trying to build those bridges. And um, <laughs> to be honest, there was. A moment this week after some of the conversations, it's like, man, I've been doing this for 20 years and I don't know a thing. I don't even know where to begin. I, I don't know anything about how we how we heal um, the uh, our past uh, and present racial things going on. And so I want you to know and everybody else to know that I'm still committed to trying to learn. Uh, but I'm feeling like I'm having to start all over again because it's like 20 years later, it doesn't seem to be any better than it was uh, 20 years ago in spite of all of these movements um, toward this. And so, and as a church, we, you know, we're committed to this. Uh, we're committed to, uh, trying to, uh, to heal the wounds and trying to build reconciliation and, um, and, and all of that. And so our hearts go out to everyone who's been affected by this, uh, tomorrow on Mo- on Monday, uh, Kevin and I record the actual floods of justice, um, things, uh, the podcast, and, uh, it's usually up on Wednesday 
And so tomorrow we'll be recording the next episode of Floods of Justice, where we're going to talk about this more in depth. And uh, our own Ray Boy Sanchez is going to join us at, um, and to talk about her view, uh, being an African-American woman uh, and, and her frustration with uh, and hurt of what's going on and how it continues to go on. So so make sure you, um, you know, you, you tune into that when it comes Wednesday. We'll post it. And I think that's going to be a good discussion and uh, hopefully an eye-opening discussion for those of us who are in the dominant culture who, who aren't, don't seem to be affected by these things as much as we should be and uh, not willing to talk about it. And so I do want to make this one statement because I think this is a statement our church believes uh, strongly. And, uh, and I just want to get it out there. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I want to pray, kind of do a pastoral prayer over, uh, over this situation. And the statement is this, and, and most of you who hear this will go, yeah, Kevin, that's common sense. We all know it. Uh, but I think it just needs to be re- reset at, at this particular time. And so the statement is this, racism is a sin. White supremacy is evil. And white privilege is a fact. And we have to all acknowledge those three, I think, three truths. Um, that racism is a sin. White supremacy is evil. And, and white privilege is a fact. And I think, uh, for me, the first step in trying to do any type of healing when it comes to rec- racial reconciliation is admitting the white privilege that I have. Um, that, yeah, things are set up in my favor. Um, I benefit from this, um, from the way the culture is, because the culture was based on WASP, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And, uh, and that's kind of still how it is. And so these problems now are at the systemic level. They're at the personal level. Uh, but at the systemic level, uh, all of those still exist, and we have to continue to fight and recommit ourselves to fight uh, against the injustice of, uh, of of racism and white supremacy, and admit um, that from the white context, admit that uh, that we do have privilege, and so we need to use our privilege to help those who don't have that that privilege. But anyway, so let me pray, and then um, um, Samantha will give us a greeting. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we love you, and uh, we know uh, that you are the God of all people. Uh, Your word makes it clear um, that uh, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, black or white or Hispanic, um, male or female, that we're all one. But Lord, we still live in a society that is reaping um, the consequences of our sin uh, from what we did uh, to the Native Americans, at the founding of our country, and then the the 400 plus years of slavery, and then the Civil War just being really 150 years or so ago, and uh, and then the Jim Crow and the Civil Rights Movement and all these things, Lord. But yet here we are again today, uh, mourning um, the loss of, uh, of Black lives uh, who who weren't doing anything that justified being uh, being killed, um, and so. Lord, we confess our sins of racism. We confess uh, that uh, we, uh, while we may not consider ourselves white supremacists, we, we kind of benefit from it some uh, in the dominant group. And so, Lord, may we tear down those walls. May we get rid of that in our heart. And, uh, Lord, may we uh, take the steps that we can do uh, to bring healing uh, to our community and to bring justice to our community and to our country. And uh, we pray this, and oh, and we pray for the families of those who are directly involved in this, Lord, uh, the hurt that they feel, and we just lift them up in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Good day, and I'm so glad to just 
greet everybody in the name of Jesus. Um, we're having a very excited moment um, on Tuesday. It will be Katie's last um, chemo at clinic. And then last, next Friday night, um, Saturday morning will be Katie's last chemo. And we praise God for that. We are so excited. We, we I don't know how to control ourselves because as we waited for this for a long time and we want to tell our fam, family at church, thank you. Thank you for being with us every step of the way. Um, we hope everybody is doing great and uh, we pray for each and every one and we know that we all miss each other and um, I would like to pray for everybody right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we say thank you for being a great God and an awesome God. Oh, Father, thank you for all the blessings, Lord. Father, thank you for all the blessings for Katie, Lord. Thank you for keeping your healing hand on her, Lord. Father, we're just not praying for Katie, but all the little ones and everyone that is fighting cancer, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, we know this is a difficult time for each and every one, Lord. But Father, we know that you are there and with you, everything will get better, Lord. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the hopes, Lord, and everything, all the praise and glory to you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you, everyone, and have a blessed day. God bless you all. Thank you. Hey, church. It's been a long time since we've been able to see you guys. Uh, we miss you, and we long to worship with you. Um, so... Uh, just as I would say up in Franklin, uh, welcome from Fulton, Mississippi. Uh, <clears throat> today we're going to be doing two songs, uh, You Are Forming by Carrie Job and then Behold from Hillsong. And uh, as we do this, don't listen to my mediocre playing or think that I'm trying to do something to impress you or anything like that. This is just me trying to worship and invite you to worship along with me. Um, it's not for you, but it is for the edification of the body and towards, um, ultimately, towards the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's just pray for this time, and then we'll worship together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would <clears throat> be with my fingers and be with my voice. I pray that this would be an encouragement, that your spirit would flow, and that through my praise however meager that you would get honor and glory from it and that I would just fall more deeply in love with you. Bless this time in Christ's name.
those that are hurting, touch those that are, are depressed, touch those that are, are oppressed and have needs. I pray that you would just reveal yourself in a fresh way. Thank you for just seeing us through this time, protecting our bodies from Jesus, we just love you. We just want to take this time to say we love you and we thank you for who you are. I just can't get that out of mind, Lord. Then sings my soul Then sings my soul Welcome back, and thank you, Kyle. I miss you. It was good to hear your voice again. Uh, all right, so we are carrying on with the series. What are you going to hit me with this week? Yeah, well, again, this is the One Another series, and this is part five. We had an introduction where we just talked about the church, and then we've looked at love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another. And then today, uh, I want to talk about serve one another. And I'm really just going to jump right in, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, with it. And there's two passages of scripture I want you to turn to in your, on your phones, tablet, or if you actually do have a Bible, you know, take it out, you know, one of these things, and uh, turn to John chapter 13. I'm going to use uh, the story in John 13 kind of as an opening introduction, and then uh, we'll look at Galatians, uh, the entire book, but Galatians chapter 5. There's, there's a verse uh, in there that I want to point to. And so, uh, John 13, and if you're familiar at all, maybe when I said John 13, you already know this, but it's the event where um, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And uh, I think when you talk about serving one another, 
and the idea of servant leadership as well within Jesus is the perfect illustration of that. And he shows us um, through, through this act of feet washing. Now there's two things about feet washing. One is theological, one is practical. So I want to make sure quickly I try to cover both of those, but it's really this practical aspect of serving one another that I want us to learn uh, from Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And so uh, John chapter 13, John uh, says in verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. And so this was Thursday of Passover week. And so Thursday evening, uh, he had the what we call the Lord's Supper. And then uh, after the meal had been served, uh, the way John tells the story is almost like while the evening meal was being served, um, Jesus um, washed his disciples' feet. And then later on that evening, he, they left and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he was betrayed and arrested and and ultimately crucified. So this, that's the time frame of this. And so it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. So Jesus knew what was about to happen. His disciples didn't know yet, uh, but uh, but he knew what was going to uh, what what was about to happen. And then I love this last part of verse one. It says, "Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love." And so this washing their feet was the perfect example of his love um, for his for his disciples. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to portray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So, you know, just his t-shirt, and we would say t-shirt, but so his outer garments so they wouldn't get messed up and washed uh, their feet. He put this towel around the waist, and verse 5 says, after he poured water into a basin, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, some people say that all this illustrates his service, and that's not really true because when the disciples would have walked into the house, uh, the servants in the house would have already washed their feet before the meal. And so now after the meal, Jesus starts to do something, and it does show um, servant leadership which is, and, and service, which is what I want to emphasize. But before we get to that, I think this, what happens next in the story is the theological aspect of it, and it really has to do with our salvation, or what does it mean um, to be saved and have forgiveness of sins. All right. And so in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, Peter, you know, in his, in his personality, you know, always willing to speak up, is like, Lord, you can't wash my feet. I mean, that's you're not a slave. You're not you're not a servant. You can't you can't wash my feet. And Jesus replied in verse seven, "You do not realize now what I am doing, but later uh, you will understand." And then Peter replied, "No, you shall never wash my feet." You know, because Peter understood uh, the humility that it takes for someone to wash his feet, and the idea of of his rabbi, of his lord, washing his feet just culturally just did not fit. Uh, and so he was being pushed to this. But then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so Jesus said, look, if, I don't, if you don't let me do this, then you're out of here. <laughs> and then Peter in his bombastic self said, well, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So God, if that's the case, then give me a, a, a full bath, not because, you know, I want to be part of you. Um, and then here, here's the theological thing about feet washing. Jesus answered in verse 10, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, 
the whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And so very, very quickly, here, here's the theological aspect of the feet washing and how it has to do with forgiveness of sins. Jesus is literally washing their feet, but symbolically he's teaching a lesson here. He says, if you don't, if I don't, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you're not part of me. And then Peter says, give me a bath. And Jesus says, no, you've already had a bath. You just need your feet washed. And here's what I think that means uh, theologically. If we don't let Jesus wash us of our sins, you know, we ask him into our lives and forgive us of our sins. If we don't let Jesus do that, well, then we're not part of him. But once we ask Christ into our life and we have been washed with the regeneration waters of his blood, um, then we, we've already had a bath. Um, but as we walk through this life, we're going to get our feet dirty. And so when we sin as believers, we don't lose our salvation just because we've sinned. Uh, we just got our feet dirty. And so we don't go get saved again. We just go and ask Jesus to forgive us of those sins that day. We just ask him to wash our feet. Uh, we've already had a bath. He has already forgiven us. But now we go back and say, Lord, I really blew it today. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. You're still my child. You've had your bath. Let me just wash your feet. Let me just forgive you of these sins uh, today that, that you repented of. And so that's the theological thing. That, so that's salvation, the theological part of feet washing. But then he moves. He says in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your servant and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Jesus was saying, look, you've seen what I've done, and I'm your master, but yet I humbled myself and I served you by washing your feet. Now you need to humble yourselves and serve one another. And the more you serve one another, the more blessed you will be is what, is what Jesus is saying. And so, there's, and so there's both this theological aspect of feet washing that it has to do with our salvation and continual forgiveness of sins. But then there's also this powerful lesson of that we are to always be ready to serve, even if it means doing a menial task. Uh, there, there's no task that you're great, that, that you're too good to do. When it comes to service, uh, then, then you serve others and you humble yourself and, and you just serve. And the more you serve, the, the more blessed you will be. Not blessed financially. This is not prosperity gospel, but just blessed. I mean, one of the, if, if someone is, is, is having a rough day, one of the best things they can do is go out and do something for somebody else. And then that just it has a way of lifting you up when you, uh, when, you, when you serve someone else. And so Jesus gives us this wonderful uh, illustration. And so uh, for today now, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, that, and I want to tie these two things together, uh, but Galatians 5, verse 13 is our, is our key verse for this topic of serving one another. And so Paul says in Galatians, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to in, indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And so Paul says, serve one another. Now, I want to go back to chapter 13 of John, verse 1, and make a point. Um, and, and so in, in John 13, verse 1, 
uh, Jesus says, or, the, or John says about this, that Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love by doing this act of service. And then Paul says, serve one another. And so here, here is what I want you to consider. This is kind of the importance of service. So consider this. Jesus previously said that the primary way people know you are, you are his disciple is through your love for one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so he's told us love is the foundational thing in our Christian life that shows other people that we are followers of Christ. But now what we are seeing through Jesus' example and Paul's uh, words, now what we are seeing is that the primary way that people know that you love them, and we're supposed to love each other, that we love each other, people know we're Christians. And the primary way people know we love them is by serving them, you see. And so those two things go together. Service and love always go together. You don't have one without the other. In fact, love without service is infatuation. But service without love is manipulation. You know, I'm serving because I want to get something out of you. Uh, and so you have to have both love and service. The way people know we're followers of Christ is that we love one another. The way people know that we love them is that we serve one another. And so basically the way people know that we're Christians is that we serve them because we love them. And that points to Christ. So we'll stop right there just for your, I see this look on your face. No, no. <clears throat> I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it, there's things I've, I've, I struggle with. The, the double-edged sword in serving people is is what you as a byproduct can get out of it yeah. and not not necessarily intentionally it's just it is such a blessing for yourself when you go out and serve people so when you are in that funky mood and you're just like okay I'm just gonna go serve some people and then you get some great stuff out of it then you know I felt this tendency to then oh let me turn it to YouTube Facebook whatever I've got to blast it and tell everybody about this great thing that I did but the intent wasn't about the great thing that I did, but it can come across that way. And then you start doing things because of that feeling that you get out of it. And so, I, I mean, that's been probably a big journey just in the last few years of my life of, of finding those private moments of, of service where I can't, I can't brag about it. I don't want to brag. The, it, it can ruin the moment. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the most, one of the, one of the greatest uh, encounters I've had with God was was in this project out in the in the desert in uh, in Morocco, and and it all happened, <clears throat> and nobody was there with me. And then <clears throat> everybody <clears throat> that I was with shows up after it happened, and I was like, oh, I wanted to be able to share that. You like, you should have seen this. And then I just felt like <clears throat> I'm choking here, but I felt like God was like, no, that was that was for you. Like, and so I've tried to think of those those moments just in service of how can we not you know, uh, publicize those people that we're serving and turn yeah. them into, you know. Yeah, no, I, trust me, I struggle with that big time because um, there's that, um, you know, like we go on a mission trip and we show pictures of what we're doing uh, and to make sure, okay, are we, is this coming across the right way? We're not, you know, we would still be serving if there were no pictures being taken, but there's family and there's supporters back home who want to see yeah. what we're doing. And so those pictures become important and even the same way in the community you know we'll do stuff in the community and take a lot of pictures and and uh you know and like well, you're doing it for the wrong reason no we're doing it for the right reason yeah. at least i hope we are 
Um, but yeah, if people want to see what we're doing and people who support our church or who support Franklin Community Development, um, you know, want to see that. Now we have stopped, you know, I used to, because I knew them real well, when we started working with homeless uh, people years ago, I would take pictures because we knew them really well, but that we haven't taken pictures of that in, in, in over a year now because of this. It's like, yeah. first of all, it's an invasion of their privacy. And then people don't really need to see that we're doing this. And, and, and so I struggle with that the same way. And the only thing I can tell people is, look, you see the pictures that we put on Facebook, the most meaningful, impactful things that have happened to us and to me on, you know, on serving people, you'll never see a picture of because it's so, like you said, it's so personal. And I think that, that God is saying, no, 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 this is just for you. You don't need to, yeah. you know, you don't need to share this. This is, this is just for you. And, um, you know, that's happened recently with us walking through the neighborhood doing communion, you know, um, something will happen and where there's just a God moment. And I'm like, man, I wish I could have got a picture of that. And the guy said, no, 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 you didn't need a, no, that's just, yeah, that's just for you and the people who you were with. No one else needs to know uh, about that. But that, that is a, that is a huge, huge struggle and balance of doing good, but yet wanting people to see it by putting it on Facebook or putting it on social yeah. media. Yeah. Uh, you know, but no, we serve one another in love. And, uh, and there's always, I guess you have to fight for me. It's like, okay, I know if I do this, I'm going to feel better, but that's not the driving force of me wanting to do that. I guess that's, that's kind of the, yeah. uh, the balance. Cause I, there's really, you know, what there's hardly, there's really nothing you can do that you don't benefit it some way. Yeah. Um, but that's not why you do it. And I want to talk about that in one of the points, uh, from that, but that's, I'm glad you said that. I don't feel so bad cause I feel the same way. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's jump to Paul's letter to Galatians because I want to uh, spend just a few minutes putting it in the context of that one verse. You know, it's always dangerous to pick one verse out of the Bible. Um, and, you know, whereas you need to put it in its context uh, so that people really get a full understanding of what they're saying. And so here's just some quick information about the, the Galatians. Um, Paul founded the church in Galatia, uh, which was in minor Turkey, modern, uh, minor, um, I'm sorry, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Paul founded this church on his first missionary journey, and there's, you know, we know he took three in Scripture. Some people say he took more than three, but Acts records three, uh, three journeys. Um, and so he founded this church on his first missionary journey. And the letter to Galatians, if you read it in full, uh, at times it seems very harsh. Paul's very stern. He's letting people know he loves them, but he's also uh, getting in their face uh, because of some things that were going on. And what Paul was doing was he was trying to protect, protect them from doctrinal error and unethical living. You know, so they were starting to believe the wrong things, and then that was affecting uh, how they lived their life. And just like service and love, uh, doctrine and, and, um, and living always go together. Um, orthodoxy means right teaching, and then orthopraxis means right living. And you can't separate those two. What you believe is going to affect how you behave. And so Paul started to see this. They were believing the wrong thing, and it was affecting uh, their relationships with one another. And so he, he doesn't have time to mess around. He just gets straight to the point uh, in his letter. And the seriousness of this tone in his letter is seen in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, uh, where Paul says that he takes the pen away from his scribe. Paul uh, would just kind of dictate these letters, and it may have been Luke. Luke would have been one, but it could have been somebody else. Uh, could have been Silas. Uh, but he just dictates this letter, and somebody else is actually writing it down. But in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. All caps. <laughs> All caps. He's shouting. <laughs> like a t yeah. 
And so it's like he gets near the end of this letter, and he's like, give me that pen. And he just, yeah. you know, this is serious what I'm saying to you. And so he is, he, he's really upset about something. And so the best we can tell is after he, after he arrived back in Antioch, after this 18-month journey, that was his first journey, uh, he receives a report that the church in Galatia was having trouble because false teachers were coming into the church and teaching another gospel. Now, the teachers were known as Judaizers, basically Jewish people who were coming saying, yeah, following Christ is really good. Put your faith in Christ, but you still got to follow the Jewish law, especially the law of circumcision. Um, and so basically it was turning grace into legalism. You got to keep this list of rules. If you really love Jesus, you're going to keep this list of rules. And and, you know, this, we still have Judaizers today, right? I mean, it, it, it was a constant thing in Paul's ministry, and even today we still fight with that. And so Paul makes a point in Galatians chapter 1 uh, about this, and, and, uh, and he reminds people of his own um, Jewish background. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles open to Galatians, look, look what he, he says in, in verse 13. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And that story is in the book of Acts. Paul was a, a Hebrew among Hebrews, he says, and he was, he was so aggravated at this new religion of following Jesus that he was actually trying to persecute people uh, and kill people who, who were Jewish who had converted to Christianity. Um, and so he said, I persecuted the church uh, he, in verse 14, I was advancing in, in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, the Damascus Road experience, we call it, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see who the apostles were. And then he goes on through the rest of the chapter, and he gives some of his testimony about his call into the ministry. And so, and so Paul is confronting these Judaizers, but he wants people to know, look, I was one of them. So I know what they're doing. I, I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I know what it was like to be that way. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm going to be... You know, not, listen to me. What you're following is not correct, and it's going to get you in more trouble. And so Paul really jumps right into it. I mean, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1, he gives an introduction. He introduces himself. But then in verse 6, so six verses into this letter, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He just jumps right I'm astonished. In such a short period of time, you, you've done this. Um, he says, this different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the word pervert there could also be translated reverse. So Paul is saying there's another gospel. It's not the gospel at all. You've listened to this too quickly, and what it's doing is reversing the gospel of Christ. In other words, the gospel of Christ is all about grace, um, whereas Judaism, or at least the Judaizers, were all about legalism. And so he's saying, you reversed. You're, you're, you're going back from grace, back into the law. And you've done it so quickly that I, I can't believe that you're doing it. So you have perverted um, the gospel. He says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. 
as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you ex you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And so Paul says that twice. He said, look, you, you, if you're not careful, you're going to reverse the grace of God back into legalism. Uh, that's a false gospel. It's no gospel at all. And if anybody is preaching that to you, let them be eternally condemned. And so legalism needs to be eternally condemned. And if we're not careful, all of us do that. We may not think we do, but all of a sudden we think the more rules and regulations we have, the better Christian we are. Uh, and we forget that it's no, it's all by God's grace. It's all by God's grace. And we must never forget that. And so whatever I do should come out of my desire to love God because of, of, of how he has expressed his love to me through, through his grace by sending Christ to die. So I'm not trying to do anything to earn anything from God. I'm not trying to pay God back. I'm just so overwhelmed. Paul says the love of Christ compels us to act a certain way and to do certain things. Um, and so Paul, again, is very, very harsh uh, in this in this verse and so in, or in this letter. And so then the key verse in Galatians is Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, where Paul says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And so Galatians can be divided very easily into three parts, two chapters each. And this is just to kind of to help us out. In Galatians 1 and 2, um, those are personal words from Paul, and he's given a defense of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 3 and 4, that's the he gives doctrinal teaching, uh, orthodoxy. And then in Galatians 5 and 6, he moves to practical application or orthopraxis. And so beginning in, verse, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul um, is moving to application. And so look what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And so then he goes on, and he's talking about what it means to follow Christ and what it means to be set free. We're no longer under legalism, but we're under uh, but we're under grace. He says that we are saved by grace. Um, and and, and it's, he says uh, that it was neither circumcision nor, nor, nor circumcision, circumcision or not circumcision, which is what the Judaizers were really emphasizing. He was saying that has nothing to do uh, with your salvation. The only thing that counts, he says in verse 6, is faith expressing itself through love. And how do we love? By serving one another. And so then, and so then he continues on. Uh, he talks about people being thrown into confusion about all this. And then he says in verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. And so in other words, he's saying, look, you can do whatever you want to do. Since we're under grace, not law, you're called to be free. You're not called uh, to be constrained by, by religiosity. You're called to be free. But then he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And so even if I can do whatever I want to do, I'm called to be free. I'm not supposed to use that freedom selfishly. You know, I'm not supposed to just, okay, I can do whatever I want to do, so I'm going to do whatever I do. I'm just going to satisfy myself. And then out of that context, he says, rather serve one another in love. So what Paul is telling the church when he says, don't be selfish, don't use your freedom to indulge your own sinful nature, rather serve one another in love, 
in the context of this entire letter, what Paul is telling the church is to stay true to the gospel and to love each other even through conflict and disagreements. Because remember, this is a harsh letter, but he's saying serve in love, even though he's, he's being pretty harsh. And so he's telling us that even uh, when we have conflicts and disagreements in the church, we are still to, lo to love each other by serving one another. And that's still a powerful lesson for us uh, today in the church. But then the question becomes, well, let me stop there. I mean, you know. No, 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 continue. All right. All right. Feel free to interrupt uh, me at yeah. any time. All right. Um, but then the question becomes, okay, how do we serve each other? How do we serve one another? Um, and before we look at some practical, what I hope are some practical ways that we can serve one another or some things to keep in mind, um, let's remember this saying that we say at our church often. We even got it on a t-shirt, so that means it's really important. All right. The way you love a God you cannot see is by loving those you can see. And the way you serve a God you cannot see is by serving those you can see. And trust me, that, to me, that's not just a saying. I, you know, I, I, I strive to live my life that way, uh, that when I'm serving other people, um, I, this is how I serve a God I can't see. It's by serving those I can see. And so the person's response to my service doesn't really affect it then. Because, well, I'm not really, you know, I've had to say this in my mind a lot of times when I've done something for somebody and they didn't respond the way or, or maybe they responded in hate uh, back at me. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I, I didn't really do this for you anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I was doing this for God. So what you say, you know, in one ear and out the other. The way we love a God we cannot see is by loving people we can see. The way we serve a God we cannot see is by serving people we can't see. We can see. And so how do we serve one another? Well, first, serve in humility. We saw that in John chapter 13, that serve in humility. It's not about me. It's about the other person. Serve in humility. Uh, but we, you also see that in Galatians 5 verse 13 where Paul is saying, don't use your freedom. Rather, serve one another. So Paul is saying, take your personal rights, place them aside, and serve the other person. And that can only be done through humility. And so serve in humility. Second of all, serve as if you are serving Jesus. And that's really where that saying we say at our church comes in, is that when I'm serving someone, I have to see it as this is my act of service to Jesus. Because you see, every person you meet has been created in the image of God. And, you know, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And I tell people, if you can look into the eyes of people, even the most down and out, the most, um, uh, you know, a, a drug addict or whatever it may be, when you look into their eyes, you, you can see Jesus in their eyes. And then you, that's who I'm serving. I'm serving Jesus by serving you. Uh, and Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats really points this out. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, where Jesus says, that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are true followers, the goats are not. It's the only time in Scripture that Jesus gives a clear parallel between those who are in, those who are out, those who are going to heaven, those who are going to hell. Um, it's the only time, and it didn't have anything to do with the sinner's prayer. It had to do with how do you treat uh, the homeless, the sick, uh, the prisoner, um, the immigrant. It was those things. The social, social. How, what do you do with these people? You know, and then he says something, uh, he, he gives a parallel. If you do this, you're in. If you don't do this, you're out. It's basically what he says. 
But here's but here how he here's how he puts it in Matthew 25 verse 40 after after this list of things that we're to do in service to others, Jesus says, "I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me." You know, so Jesus said, "When you did that, you did it for me." And then when he goes through that same list and says people didn't do it, he says in Matthew 25 verse 45, "I tell you the truth." Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. You know, and so we serve as if we're serving Jesus. Um, a big part of what it means to serve as if you're serving Jesus is to serve unconditionally. And that's the third point. Serve unconditionally. In other words, with no strings attached. Now, why do we do that? Well, because we're serving Jesus. We're not really serving the other person. We're serving Jesus. You know, recently a, a volunteer who was helping me um, with the uh, placing the homeless people in a hotel went and delivered food, and um, some of the people she delivered the food to who were in the hotel were rude to her, were, were just rude. And uh, she, called, she called me and was like, you know, I, I'm not really upset, but it really kind of hurt my feelings that we're doing all this for these people, but yet... Uh, they're rude. And then she said, then she told me, she said, I don't know how you do it because she knows I've been doing this for a long time. And was like, I don't know how you do it. And, uh, and I told her, you know, hey, I told her, the way you serve a God you cannot see is by serving, you know, I, I did that whole, uh, that whole line. Um, and, and, but then I told her um, that, uh, I told her, I reminded her of the story of Jesus where Jesus healed 10 lepers and only one said thank you. And that's in Luke chapter 17. He healed 10 lepers. Only one said, thank you. And then I told her, I said, look, if Jesus only shoots 10%, then I figure if I shoot 1%, I'm doing pretty good. So if one out of 100 say thank you. The next day, both of us got a card from one of the people uh, that were at the hotel saying how much uh, thank you and how much they appreciated what we were doing. And when, when I saw her again, she, she made reference to that card and said, that's my one in 10. Mm -hmm. and I said, yeah, that's, that's it. But if it's one in a hundred, you're still doing pretty good. If Jesus, the son of God only got 10%, then, you know, little old me, if I get 1%. So I have to serve unconditionally. Another example of that uh, would really be, you know, our, our church has a grant from HUD to move people from homeless to housing. Well, the guidelines for the grant um, to put people in housing, HUD makes it very, very clear, you have to have a low barrier. In other words, it doesn't matter if they're an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if they're a drug addict. It doesn't matter. If you can get them in the housing, you get them in the housing. There's no qualifiers. They're homeless. That's the only qualifier. They're homeless. Get them in the housing. <laughs> and every time I think about that, I think, isn't that interesting? The government shows more grace than most churches and Christian nonprofits, you know, where you got to meet all this criteria before you do anything for them. Yeah. You know, and the government saying, nope. Low barrier. The lower, the better. Um, and so, you know, we have to serve each other unconditionally. So those are the first three, but I'll stop for a moment. Take a drink of water. Sure. Give you a chance. <clears throat> well, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, lately, and this may just get cut. We may not even use this, so don't, don't stress out. But um, you talk about, uh, you know, a thankless job. You might do this and you may get very little thanks. And, and I think you mentioned it a little bit, but the reality is, is not only is it thankless at times, but you get attacked 
and criticized for doing God's work. And I, you know, we ask ourselves, and we'll get into this in, in the conclusion on, what can we do to serve other people? Well, Kevin is one of my best friends. And he is being criticized for serving this community. And it's not okay. And I think one thing that we can do to serve Kevin is we defend his name. We stand up for, for what he's doing and what other people are doing in our church. But some of the loudest voices that are out there are actually pastors. And I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to go off the rails in this, but I think it's vitally important that those of us who are members of FCC, who are friends of Kevin and Misty, that we stand up when we hear gossip and flat out lies, or when we just hear a misunderstanding of somebody that they think this is what happened, we go, no, actually, this is not what happened. It, it happened this way. And I, I went, I had the privilege of walking with him this last week to serve communion around the community here. And there was criticism against Kevin for sharing communion with people in the community. When all precautions were made, I stood there and I watched it. I mean, I, I, all I did was hold a bag and, and watch people be blessed. And a host and grape juice was individually wrapped and they were handed out. Nobody touched. We wore masks. We wore gloves. We prayed. We shared in communion. I held out the bag and they dumped their empties into that and we went on to the next. And, and it was a blessing to be able to share in that in the community. And that's Kevin's heart. And there is nothing that can be criticized about that. So when you hear somebody criticizing, we can serve Kevin and we can stand up and we can say, no, I defend his name because I know his heart. That Even Paul made note, you can have conflict. We're going to have conflict. We're different. Everybody's different. And these differences are going to create conflict. But if we work through these conflicts and we own what we can own and we, can, and we apologize for what we need to apologize for, God can bring us closer together. And I said I wouldn't go off the rails here, but Kevin, I love you. And, I love you too. And I appreciate what you do for the city of Franklin, for the community here in Hard Bargain and Natchez and Spring Street. And I don't see, I don't see anybody else doing what you do, and I'm proud to stand along beside you. Well, that was unexpected, <laughs> but, uh, but thanks. It makes the next point a little difficult, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to turn things awkward in this. We have no, to figure no. out how do we bring the tone back down to, no, 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 to no. blend uh, into the conclusion. You know, but, one, of, one of the advantages of this over real uh, having a church service is the conversation aspect. Yeah. Of it. I mean, that, that is one of the advantages of it. And so if we go a little long this week, it's his fault, yeah. not mine. All right. Take it up with me. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> but anyway, well, thank, thank you, man. I, that means that means a lot to me. Um, but um, but the the fourth point is to serve, not expecting to be served in return. Okay. <laughs> so we're not expect. Well, you don't not, do it to to expect. <laughs> this is just because we love you. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I appreciate it. And so you know, if you ex and basically, if you serve expecting 
that one day the other person is going to return the favor. Like, you know, I'm going to cut your grass because when I'm on vacation, I expect you to cut my yeah. grass. Uh, then you're not really serving as if you were serving Jesus. Um, and, uh, and you're also going to be sorely disappointed in people because most people will not return the favor. You know, most people are not going to say thank you outside of a general, hey, man, thanks, you know, but, but not, not really. You're going to sense people don't appreciate it, and then you get burnt out, you turn cynical, and you stop loving because of that. Um, and so, and so you have to serve because I'm serving Jesus. I'm serving unconditionally, and I'm not really expecting anything uh, in return. And then when people, if you serve that way, when people do say thank you, like you know, you get a thank you note from a person in the hotel. It's like, wow, man, this is this is gold. You know, that'll that'll keep me going for another, you know, several months because that one person did. Whereas if I expected everybody to do it then you just, you know, what's the point? What's the point? Now, this, you confess, so now this is my own personal struggle. Maybe why, for me, this is an important thing uh, uh, to emphasize. Um, but it's my own person, I have, I, I struggle getting, um, receiving awards um, uh, for simply doing what I think God has called me to do. And for whatever reason, the last few years, I've gotten plaques and different things. I mean, my office is full of them, and I, I greatly appreciate every one of those. Um, but it but it makes me uncomfortable to be recognized uh, for doing what God has called me to do. And I think some of that just comes from my background because I was I was a highly competitive person growing up. I played all kinds of sports uh, on and through college. And and you know um, I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary, and I'm no no way comparing myself to him. But some of the things he said, I was like, yeah, that's how I felt. You know, if you're not going to practice hard, get out of here. I don't want you on my team. You know, if you're not going to, we're going to do our best and we're going to play hard. We're going to work hard uh, every day. And then, you know, and so growing up, you know, I received all kinds of trophies uh, for playing sports. Um, not not just, you know, because you play, but MVP, that, that kind of stuff. And then in college, every tournament, every tournament I played in in college, um, I got, um, uh, I was on the all-tournament team. You know, every one of them, and a couple of them would have been the MVP, and that really started in high school. So I had this collection of all kinds of trophies and plaques for, for playing sports. And then I started pastoring, and I struggled with that because, you know, I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to just be the best pastor. I wanted to be a better pastor. than the, So it was all a competition. Yeah. And God has worked on my heart for that for 30 years to, to squelch that, that it's not a competition. And so several years ago, I was going through some old stuff, and I saw all these trophies uh, from from uh, you know junior high, high school, college, and they were just sitting in a box. And so I felt like God saying, "You just need to get rid of these. You don't need these anymore. It's not about a competition." So I threw them all away, kind of as a sign to me that I, this doesn't matter. It's serving God. It's not about any of these awards. And then all of a sudden, I started getting these other awards for stuff, and and it just I don't know if that makes any sense, but it just makes me uncomfortable uh, to be recognized uh, for doing something that. I just see as, no, this is what God has called me to do. Why wouldn't I do this? This is not anything special. It's just what God has called me to do. And so for me, I have to remind myself constantly, look, you do this because you're serving Christ. You do it unconditionally. And if no one ever says thank you, that's fine because you didn't do it for the thank you anyway. You did it because you're serving, you're serving God. And so, um, but anyway, I, that, that's just kind of my own, my own thoughts about that. But but when we serve, we should serve without expecting anything in return. Galatians chapter 6, verse, verse 
verses 9 and 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I was on a Zoom uh, conference yesterday, uh, um, or one day this past week, and I brought that verse up where it said, uh, don't get weary, just keep doing good. You know, at God's timing, things will work out. Uh, but then take every opportunity to do good for all. And I stopped there and said, notice it says all, to do good for all. And then the next phrase is, especially those of the household of faith. And so we jump really quick to, well, we got to help people in our own church first. And, and we just run over that. No, no, do good to all, everybody. Yeah. But then also don't forget the people uh, that, uh, that are in your church, basically. And so we serve without any expectation of being um, served back. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not, uh, I'm sorry, that's the next point. I jumped ahead on my notes, sorry. Uh, but anyway, so serve without expecting anything in return. And then fifth, serve as if you're serving yourself. Now, this is really complicated because it may sound contradictory to everything else, but that's not what it is. It, Paul said uh, to husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. And the idea is you treat your wife the way, you know, so uh, my dad, who used to preach on, on marriage all the time, would, would say what that means is if you're on a long trip um, and your wife needs to go to the bathroom, you stop and go to the bathroom, you know, because if you needed to, you would stop. Instead of saying, no, no, we're making good time. Hold on, you know, for a little mm -hmm. bit. So if I'm going to serve my wife like I serve myself, then what I, what I want to do for myself is what I want to do for her. And so take, if you extrapolate that out, that's what I mean. I serve others as if I'm serving myself. Years ago, uh, there was somebody who needed uh, an air conditioner, and they also needed a heater. And, uh, and I made the decision because people were saying, well, they got these air conditioners on sale down here, da da da, -da. <clears throat> But I had seen this air conditioner that was a window unit that was air conditioning and heating. And it was twice as much as just the air conditioner. And this yeah. was summer when they needed the air conditioner. And I remember talking and saying, and, and rationalizing my own mind, okay, which one would I buy for myself? Which one would I want if I could afford it? You know, and it'd be, I would want the air conditioner and the heater because that's what I really need. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I will spend twice as much money as we would have because I want to serve them the way I would serve. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we, that's what I mean by this. You serve as if, as if you're serving um, your, yourself. Um, you know, one of the really cool things that we did last year at the community center uh, was uh, Sam raised some money to buy tennis shoes um, for uh, all the kids in the community. <laughs> and, um, and they were Nike, which is like, that's like the only tennis shoe I wear. And so I was like, yeah, this is good. That's what I would want. I want these kids to have them because they need the best. And, and I received criticism or we received criticism from that. Because if we would have bought a cheaper brand, we could have bought more tennis shoes. You know, and I'm like, well, but I wanted Nike. <laughs> yeah. And if that's what I want, then that's what I should want. You know, I'm going to serve them like I'm serving myself. Um, you know, and so, and so that's just, just kind of the thing uh, that we go through. But any comments before we review and, and get to what people have said on Facebook about how we do this? No, <clears throat> no, I better, I better. You said enough? Well. Yeah, <laughs> I've said it. I've said enough. <laughs> I'm already replaying going, oh, I shouldn't say this, I say this right. Like, so. 
No, you have not said enough. Uh, I was, I was going to make a joke about we're looking for a new host next week, but <laughs> but we're not. Cut and blow. Okay. We're not. <laughs> Come on, America, vote me to stay. <laughs> well, here's here's a review. Uh, all right. The primary way people know we are Jesus' disciple is through our love for one another. And so the primary way that people know we love them is by serving them. And then how do we serve one another? Well, we serve in humility. We serve as if you're serving Jesus. We serve unconditionally. We serve with no expectation of being served in return. And we serve as if we are serving ourselves. And so as we've done every week, I put on Facebook, hey, what are some practical ways we can serve one another? The whole idea of this series is while we're practicing social distance, separated from one another, how can we grow in our faith and in our community? And so, okay, during this time of awkwardness, how do we serve one another? And here's just some response. Um, you know, drop off a meal on a porch, a purchase from a local, locally owned restaurant. Uh, the idea is go to a local restaurant, buy a meal, and give it to someone else. And, and the person who said that said that's two one another's with one stone. You know, so uh, I thought that was good. Uh, someone else said handing out hamburgers and hot dogs on a weekly basis during COVID, which is what we've done uh, at the community center. And that's what they were referring to. And then, you know, providing food and groceries to people in need, you know, once a week, we have a food distribution here. And, ba and basically what this person was saying is kind of what you said, is that basically how do we serve each other? Well, that's everything Franklin Community Church does. Um, and uh, I take that as a compliment. Um, someone else said a simple smile would be an excellent way to serve other people. Have you got your mask on? They don't know you're smiling. Mm -hmm. you <laughs> so dry. take your mask off. Yeah. Just drop you know, but uh, that, that simple smile uh, can go a long way. Uh, buy something at a local store that you would not have typically purchased uh, just to help out the economy. Bake some brownies and drop them off. Or order a meal from a local restaurant when you might not already do that and, and leave a larger tip if you can. Uh, now, we have not been out to eat. Yet, Missy and I know we've gone to pick up food. You know, we still go to Pueblo Real about once a week. And I have done my best um, to go over and above a tip because uh, I know everybody's just struggling during this time. And so if you go if you go to a restaurant, don't be cheap. Leave, you know, leave a 25 percent tip or more at, at least. Uh, be you be generous uh, with that. Serve people by doing that. Um, donate to a local nonprofit. Uh, offer to babysit for someone. Um, mow your neighbor's yard just because, in other words, not expecting they're going to mow it back. Uh, buy coffee for a person, for the person behind you. Uh, send, send a funny article that made you smile, send that to someone else. And, um, you know, maybe this week would be a good week to do outcuts and so people can laugh and then they can send the outcut video, uh, to their friends. Cause we got plenty of outcuts and we've been threatened by Brad and Jessica that they're going to use that against us. One of these days, a, com a compilation of all the outcuts of trying to do this thing. Uh, but anyway, so that's uh, uh, any closing comments or what are your thoughts? What are some ways we can practically serve one another? Well, I think, you know, I, I spent a, a lot of my life uh, single. Um, and so it was it was very easy and convenient to go uh, to help people when I wanted to and 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 help maybe enthusiastically and generously and then you get married and you have kids and and I felt like God was shaping things going well you're gonna be asked to to love people and serve people in ways one that you're not good at two that you're not comfortable with or it's not convenient three so it's like 
that that's probably been my biggest lesson learned is being and being a parent and, and a husband is all right there's there's things that come easy to me that I can serve people with, but sometimes I'm not called to do those things and and that it, it can be crippling it can feel crippling like oh but this is this is where I feel my giftings are and God might just be saying well that may be true you have giftings in that area but what I need right now is is this so and so needs this right now and, and just being available I think is yeah you know Mother Teresa said something like this I think Martin Luther King Jr. says something about this as well that you know all of us can't do great things but we can do small things with great love. Yeah. You know, so just that small act of service, uh, if we do that in love, well, as Jesus said, you give a cup of cold water in my name, you've done it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't worry about the big thing, just what is that thing, that small thing you can do um, that, that is a service to, to someone else. Um, and uh, I think uh, you, you'll be blessed and people will be blessed uh, from that. They may not ever tell you, uh, you know, one of the joys of being in ministry as long as I have is every once in a while, somebody who I haven't seen in a long time will come up to me or I see them somewhere and they remind me of something I had forgotten about years ago, uh, that it's something I'd said or something that I'd done. And they're like, you just don't know what that meant. You just don't know what that meant. And to me, it's like, sometimes I don't even remember it after they tell me. I just shake my head and say, yeah, yeah. You. But, but whatever it was, that small act uh, meant, meant something. Well, here's our prayer of commitment. Um, this prayer was written by a guy named Jack Watts. Uh, the, the last uh, sentence I, I uh, added just to kind of wrap it up. Uh, but it's really a good prayer about serving each other. So here's our prayer. Father, allow me to serve others with a joyful heart, never keeping score, always giving, never expecting to receive. Allow me to give of myself, to give of my talents, and of my goods, to give of my time and of my energy, to give of my heart and of my soul. Help me understand the needs of others, never criticizing, never demeaning, never scolding, never condemning. You have been so gracious to me, always loving, always forgiving, always restoring, never gloating over my defeats, even when I have been so wrong. Father, Keep a condemning spirit far from my heart and further from my lips. Allow me to serve others as you serve, with gentleness, compassion, and tenderness, never diminishing the worth of another, choosing to extend mercy to the brokenhearted like you have repeatedly shown it to me. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the ultimate server, who sacrificially gave his life for me so that I can serve him by serving others. Amen. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.